night. So don't don't judge me tonight by what it usually is. We feel like we'll be a little longer tonight in our Bible study than usual because we feel like we have an important thing that we need to reach hearts with. We'll be reading quite a bit of scripture beginning at St. John, the 10th chapter. You find that and then we'll be going to the 21st chapter of St. John. And then we'll be going back to St. Luke, the 10th chapter, and reading those scriptures. And they may seem like that they don't fit together, but you'll stay with me. We'll get them together before the close of the service. Beginning first at St. John, the 10th chapter, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, and goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and go in and out, and find the pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. We'll be reading from St. John, 21st chapter. 15, 16, and 17. Old familiar scriptures there. For when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Let's go over to St. Luke. The 10th chapter and the old familiar story. You know, I'm fascinated by familiar scripture and what they actually say to us. We hear familiar scripture and they become so familiar to us that we really fail to see there's an in-depth in most familiar scriptures. Beginning at the 30th verse, And Jesus answered, answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. We want to speak tonight on sheep and the charge that God has given us. All the, all the scriptures we read to you was familiar, and Jesus deals a lot when he speaks concerning shepherds and sheep because this was territory in which sheep was raised. And you hear a lot said about shepherds' care of lambs and how he takes care of them, and shepherds' care of sheep that is lost where he admonishes us to leave the ninety and nine as Jesus has said and go and seek the one which is lost. And you hear a whole lot about shepherds' disciplinary action to their routing to the rebellious sheep. I was concerned about that, and I began to think there seems to be something missing in the area of sheep. It's all kinds of sheep, but there's one class that very little is said about and very little is done about. And I happened by accident to run across the story that really really garnered my mind and made me to think upon this message. There's cast sheep. I you write that down. C-A-S-T, cast sheep. I was reading a story of a minister that was living in the country. He enjoyed watching his neighbor's sheep from his window. One morning he noticed one sheep laying on its back with its feet straight up in the air. And fearing that that sheep was dead, he called his neighbor, and his neighbor came and checked the sheep and, and assured him that the sheep was not dead, that this happens very often. And he began to explain to this pastor that this was a cast sheep. He explained what caused cast sheep. He said every so often a sheep that is heavy with wool or is with lamb will lie down and roll into a slight recess on the ground and roll on its back and will find in that position it is unable to get up. And when this happens, the sheep is called cast or it's called helpless. I want you to think about what Jesus is saying concerning sheep. All the things he did admonished his shepherds, and that would include a lot of us, pastors especially, and Jesus himself being the example, all types of sheep that he told us is our responsibility to take care of. That little lambs, you must take care of them in a certain way, a particular way. They need to be taken care of. A lost sheep needs another touch from the shepherd's hand, some other way to approach them and to find them, and having found them, to restore them to the fold, and rowdy sheep need disciplinary action, and you have to handle them a certain way in a certain direction. And we've seen this in the past, and we've watched it. Some has been handled nice, others have been handled very crudely, but we see the lack 
of individuals of shepherds in this day and era this day and age being able to handle the helpless sheep those that have rolled over somewhere somehow and gotten to a place that they by themselves can't get up there's no possible way he went on for this sheep to survive in this position very long this man went ahead, ahead explaining to the pastor the gases begin to ruminate in its belly and its stomach the joints begin to stiffen and atrophy and left by itself that sheep will die he further related his story and said he watched as this man or this shepherd gently rolled that sheep into its side and began massaging its limbs in its body taking gentle care of it realizing that it needed particular care realizing this sheep needed compassion it needed love and uh, it needed some massaging to get itself back after a brief time the legs begin to relax the muscles begin to twitch and that confirmed that that sheep though it looked as if it was dead was actually alive and it wasn't long before that gentle shepherd placed his hands under the stomach or the belly of the sheep lifted it to its wobbly legs and slowly began to walk it and stayed with it until that sheep was able to stand by itself as I read that story my mind went to all of these scriptures that I just read and it made me realize what a beautiful example that the Good Shepherd has left before us many times he wants us to know that we individuals are beset by problems by burdens of this life that weigh us down and make us weary and a lot of times we just simply lie down under the load and are simply unable to get up by ourselves we become helpless sheep we become cast sheep we become sheep that's dependent upon someone else to rescue us from the dilemma that we're in we become sheep that's depended upon the shepherd of the flock at that time and this shepherd must know how to react to helpless and cast sheep I learned a lesson after years of pastoring that there's probably as many or more helpless cast sheep as there is lost sheep as there is rowdy sheep and as there is little lambs and yet not a whole lot of attention has been paid the sheep that some way or somehow have gotten in a depression of some type and are unable to get up by themselves they have been neglected they have been left to die there's a lot of reasons for that I suppose but Jesus meant for the shepherd to begin to massage begin to calm to begin to comfort begin to lift these individuals up and stay with them until they were able to stand alone so I looked at that I looked for some parable or something in the Bible that would illustrate a little bit more in depth the point that I'm trying to make and immediately my mind turned to the story that about the Good Samaritan and something that's just touched my heart as I begin to feel the burden of individuals that are 
lying down. Who knows why they're there? Who knows the reasons that they are helpless? But they are. And who knows the many times the shepherds have went off with those that are healthy and those that are good and those that are able to make it on their own, more or less, and have simply just left these sheep to die when just a little gentleness, just a little watchful care and tender mercy, and just a little getting under the weight and the problem of that individual. You see, it didn't need much help, but it did need a little. It was on its back. I thought about the burdens of life and the problems of life. I thought about times when I simply was just weighted down with problems I couldn't understand, with things that happened in my life that I couldn't understand, I couldn't justify. I had no reason and weariness. I just kind of lay down to take a rest. I found myself kind of like that cast sheep. I was just simply unable to get myself out of that predicament by myself. I needed somebody. Friend, the world needs somebody today. Saints all over of every denomination need somebody today. They need a church. They need shepherds. They need individuals that will look at them and say they're not dead yet. Friend, as long as the power of God remains in their life, they're not dead yet. There may be some problems in their life. It might be that they can't do anything but just lay there, but they're not dead. There's life in them. And as long as there's life in there, we need as a church, I need as pastor and others as a pastor, to recognize that they have a need that is far different from any of the other sheep or any of the other lambs. There needs to be some way in the ministry and in the church of God, the wisdom to be able to deal with sheep that are cast or sheep that are helpless. Sometimes all they need is just a little bit of love. But this was illustrated so beautiful in the parable of Good Samaritan. You might turn there, I'll not read it as a go, but I will take it by verses. It talks about a man that is on his journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was known as the bloody trail. Individuals passing from Jerusalem to Jericho was very often waylaid by thieves and robbers that uh, lay there in wait for anything or anybody that they could get. And that was a distance of approximately 20 miles. Outside of Jerusalem at this time that this parable was written, historians speculate that the uh, ground and the land was barren, and it was cold, and it was desolate. Jericho, in contrast, was warm, it was inviting, and it had fruit-bearing trees there, a place where individuals wanted to go, a place where individuals wanted to dwell. The Lord began to speak to me as he said that he is speaking uh, an allegory, something where the meaning stated or implied but not stated. And he let me to know as I begin to deal in that that this is symbolic of our journey in this world into the kingdom of God. You notice this world is cruel and this world is cold. This world is heartless. There's nothing there whatsoever and we're seeking to get someplace where it's warm and where it's inviting and where there's fruit-bearing trees, which is the kingdom of God. And notice... It said they fell among, this one did, fell among thieves, stripped him, 
wounded him, departed leaving him half dead, alluding to or symbolic of Satan, comes and strips us of our dignity, strips us of our confidence that we have in ourselves, strips us of the hope that God gave us in Christ Jesus, strips us of our determination to finish the journey, strips us of our zeal, our desire, and strips us of our strength. St. John 10, 10 identifies him and says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And notice this individual lying here. Could be any one of us, and several are perhaps identical with that tonight. We're doing our best to get from this world into God's kingdom. How many want? Yes, we are. We're trying our best to get there. This world is cold, desolate. Offers us nothing but hatred, envy, malice, and strife. And sometimes we're just simply waylaid by the powers of the enemy. The thief comes to rob us of any confidence we might have in ourselves. Comes to rob us of the dignity that God has given us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us that we are sons of a living God. And friend, that carries with it quite a wallop when we use it on the devil. But he'll strip us of the dignity that we have as sons and daughters of a living God if he can. And any hope that Jesus might give us of entering into something better than a cold and desolate place takes that promise, determination, zeal, desire, strength that we have. The thief comes and leaves us half dead. He would have killed us if he could. But notice the devil can't kill us. He might destroy the body a little bit. He might hurt us a little bit. But Jesus is the only one that can take both soul and body. And this individual, and I want you to imagine, perhaps there's millions of people like this all over the world. This individual is lying there on that road half dead, stripped of everything that he had. Some say he was a Jew. Some say he was a, a peddler. But whatever he was, he was a man in need. He was a man hurt. He was a man that had been robbed. He was a man that needed help. Now I want you to notice what he's trying to say here. A priest came by, and Jesus identifies the priest and the Levites. says, a priest came by and saw him in that position and passed by on the other side. Priest, of course, is symbolic to the ministry today. I'm not getting down on ministry, but I am getting down on hirelings those that just minister just for what they can get, take the flock and leave it and do whatever they want to with the flock. But these individuals, when they see people that's hurt and dying, are not concerned enough about them to do anything about it. And the Bible says here, the priest came by and saw the individual, perhaps maybe he thought he was dead, but he didn't even try to find out, and passed by on the other side. Now, the Levite was a little bit better than that. He came and looked on him. And as he was looking on him, you know, like a lot of people do today, just kind of say, well, man, he's in bad shape, ain't he? That's just too bad that he's in a shape like that. I don't know of anything that I can do about it. And so he just looks on him and just passes by on the other side. Now, the Levites at that time, of course, were workers in the tabernacle. That could be church leaders of any sort, it doesn't matter. Individuals that occupy a place in the church, it could be them. 
But anyway, looking at them, the priest passed by. This man was lying half dead, dying, couldn't get up by himself, had the need of some help. They both passed by. Now, I want you to notice that these were official guardians and ministers of the Father's house. The temple was still God's house until Jesus declared that it wasn't anymore. And these individuals were official guardians of that. And Jesus was showing us in that parable how selfish and how unconcerned and without compassion or love that this order had disintegrated to. And that because of this, the very reason for their existence was gone. Their grand order was being taken away from them. Jesus is trying to expound that in this parable. And in less than half a century, the words of Jesus that Jesus spoke in Luke 13, 34, became a stark reality. As he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou which killeth the prophets and stoneth them that are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. And then he says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. In other words, he's saying this order has not done the job that it's supposed to do. You have demonstrated that when you've left this man, regardless of who he was. You have demonstrated the insufficiency of who you are and what you are, to represent me and my kingdom and me and my order any longer, I have to take it away from you. And as he was doing that, he was preparing a new order. When, when God gets sick and tired of things that's going on in the world today and individuals that could care less, that have no compassion, that seem to have no love, seem to have no concern for individuals, God soon begins to shut the door upon that. And on the backside of the desert someplace, he's got individuals that sought him and sought his divinity, sought his divine love, and has saw suffering humanity out there and wants to reach out with their hands to the grace of Almighty God and rescue the perishing and care for the dying. And I can't help but say tonight, friend, I have to say it, that you can see the door closing sometimes upon all of this that has been uh, a, a facade, all of this that has sought to uh, glorify themselves, all of this that has sought to build themselves a kingdom. Friend, God wants the kingdom built for Him. Someplace, somewhere out of the rubbish and ashes of all of this, God is saying, I will raise up a new one. I won't leave this world without something to be able to care for the sick, for the lost, and for the dying. Friend, as long as people are well, as long as they're happy, and as long as they're rich, churches want to fill their pews with them. But there's needs out there in the world that needs a gentle hand and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and a balm of Gilead applied to those wounds and some help to get them up from where they're at. I believe God is raising that up. I believe he is. I believe he's shutting the door upon all of this other. A lot of us moan and groan over Jimmy Baker and Jimmy Swaggart and all of this, and these can be forgiven. And maybe they'll be better ministers after they are. I pray that they are. But they forgot what a majority of the world has forgotten. They forgot 
And those hands was given them to reach the helpless. They forgot that. They were building their own castles. They were building their own kingdoms. Pride began to gather up. And they forgot all about this. But friend, there's a world out here that needs it. And God will not leave us there. And then he points out to what is coming. This is passing away. Priests and Levites, yours is passing away. Temple worship is going out. Jerusalem, which is the religious sin of the world. I'm closing the door on that. But he actually says, but I'm not going to leave you helpless. I'm going to open up a new age. I'm going to open up a new time. And he says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed. You know, there's a difference between just going out here someplace and journeying. When you journey, you know where you're going. You lay the route out and you know where you're going. And this Samaritan knew where he was going. And the Bible says that as he journeyed, saw him. That same man that this religious order had decided he couldn't do anything with. But this Samaritan, which was hated of the Jews, and they say most probably this man lying there was a Jew, and had that Jew came along and saw the Samaritan, he would have left him there to die. But this Samaritan, as he journeyed, saw him and had compassion on him. Now, we've identified everything else, and this might go against some of our teachings a little bit. It did mine. But God opened my eyes, I believe, to this. We've identified everybody else, but who is this Samaritan? Why is he just called a Samaritan, and why has he been mentioned in there? Now, notice Jesus is speaking allegorically and telling us concerning the passing of an old order and the bringing in of a new one that will do what he wants done. So we have to identify this individual, and who was he? I was reading, I found... The identification. He was Jesus himself. He himself was called a Samaritan by the scribes and Pharisees, as proven in St. John 8, 48. said, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and have a devil. So Jesus was referring to him, not to us as a church, not to us as an individual, but he was referring to himself. As he closes the old order, as the temple has its no value any longer, as the age of the priest and the Levites passes away, a new one comes in, and a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek, then comes into being, at that day mounts the cross of Calvary, and sin and shame, the sin of the whole world, was heaped upon him as he took that upon his own and suffered, bled, and died upon the cross that we might have life and have it more abundantly, was buried, was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, and thank God rose again on the third day, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave, and he might present to the world somebody that always cares for the helpless and the lonely and the despairing and individuals that need a touch of God's grace. And Jesus himself, the Bible says, came along, so to speak, and let's go on, and went to him and bound up his wounds. This is important. Pouring in oil and wine. Oil and wine are both symbolic in the scriptures of the Holy Ghost. Interchangeable, but both symbolic of the Holy Spirit of God. Wine is for the cleansing of the wound. Oil is for the healing. 
And only Jesus can supply this. It is literally impossible for a church to give you the Spirit of God. It can present that to you, and you might want it, and it is just simply impossible for an individual to give you the Spirit of God. And so you see, Jesus identified, He's the only one that can give us the presence of God in our life. Only Jesus can supply this. And He says, I'm going to supply through individuals, I'm going to supply a spirit that was not prevalent and present in my old order of priests and Levites. I like this, and notice He continues, not only did He see Him, not only did He go to Him, isn't that just like Jesus? Can't you just see him in that picture? Anybody, anybody else is despised and left uh, just to die on their own and nobody cares about him. Jesus still cares. He's still like that. That's his character. He still goes to the despised. He still goes to those that are weak. He still goes to those that are helpless. And you can just see him. Everybody else has went by. Religious order has forgot about that individual. And this Samaritan comes and sees him. And immediately his heart has compassion. He just can't pass them by. He can't watch them die in that state. I'm glad one time the good Samaritan, which was Jesus, passed my way and saw me when I needed him the most. And he came and he supplied what was needed. He poured in the wine. He cleansed those old wounds of mine that had been laid open by the enemy. And then he poured in the oil and began to heal those wounds and make me a good man again. And not only did he do that, he recognized that after a man had been beaten like this and had been helpless and was about to die, he could pour in the oil and wine and he could take care of the wounds, but the man would still need some help. How many of you realize that? And that's what God is trying to tell us today. There's individuals out there that's hurt. They're wounded. We can come through the Spirit of God. Jesus can pour it in. But they're still going to need somebody to help them until they regain their strength again. I was that away one time. Somebody needed to help me. You've been that way. Somebody needed to help you. And there's people out there just like we were at one time and maybe where somebody needs to help them. And notice what Jesus did. He set him on his own beast. This Samaritan did set him on his own beast. I couldn't get away from that. I had to read Isaiah 53 and 4 and said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. On the cross of Calvary, that's where he put all of our burdens and all of our cares, and there he died for us. And it continues and said, And he brought him to an end. Now this place that he brought him was some place between Jerusalem and Jericho, which indicates that where this inn is, where this place is, is somewhere between here in this world and the kingdom of God. So let's identify the inn. In the Greek, the inn was known as Panduchion, and in the Hebrew it's Crane, K-R-A-N. And this is simply what it says about an inn, a place, a reception and use for the weary and the wounded traveler. As I looked at that, I thought, this, where is the church, God? You have occupied everything else thus far. But now then, the church comes into view. Jesus comes, sees them where they're at, and through His power and His Spirit, He picks them up, carries their burdens on the cross of Calvary, and then brings them to a place of reception where individuals will receive them 
uh, of use of weary and wounded travelers. You see, along this road, there was many of them, and so they set up somewhere between there a place to take care of these individuals that happened local church and gives us the orders to take care of them until he comes back again. Notice what he says. Jesus binds her wounds, pours in the oil and the wine, carries her burden, deposits them in the local church and says, take care of them. And if whatever you spend more, he gives him two pence, and said, why do you spend more when I come again? <laughs> Hallelujah, I like that. When I come again, I will repay you. In other words, Reckon all of this to my charge. Whatever you're out, church, in taking care of the wounded, the lost, and the dying, whatever it costs you in hours and days or money, reckon it to the charge of Jesus Christ. And if he owes you anything, he'll repay you that when he invites you into the glorious kingdom of a living God. He will repay us, friend, of time and time and time again. Notice it said he gave him two pence. This is two days' wages. I like that. It, isn't he just good and just hiding little golden grains and nuggets in these scriptures? And uh, that's symbolic of the time between the ascension of Jesus and his coming back again. Scholars say that a dispensation begins and ends approximately every 2,000 years. Also says that one day is with the Lord is a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is one day. And what he's trying to say is from the time of the on onslaught, of it all and we're trying to make our journey and he picks up these individuals and he paid the cost on the cross uh, and he's depositing them in the church and saying take care of them and at the end of the 2,000 years whatever it might be when I come you're not going to lose a thing <laughs> hallelujah there's going to be a reward for you you might not get it in this world saints of God but Jesus sees what you're doing he sees your heart bleed with compassion he sees your hands bend down in mercy. He watches your feet as they walk to those that nobody else would walk to. And he watches you as you shelter them and take care of them and make them ready for the kingdom of God. I love him for that, don't you? Time out. Just a minute to worship him. <laughs> Hallelujah. I just love him enough just to worship him. Glory to God. Just to give him honor and just to give him praise. I suppose the question we have to ask is, can we dare recognize the responsibility, awesome responsibility we have to strangers and to helpless and cast sheep? I think that's a question should be first and foremost in your mind. But Jesus also spoke not only in that one parable which shows that he's concerned about cast sheep, helpless sheep, but he takes Peter as an example. All of you know that Peter had made such, such blatant statements as, Lord, everybody else might leave you, but I won't. He had said, oh, Lord, I just love you so much that it don't make any difference what happens, I'm going to be there. But Peter, when the time comes, the chips was down, Peter denied the Lord. He denied him three times. And so he was a cash sheep. He was helpless. He was ostracized. He was no longer even counted as a disciple. You'll notice in Saint Matthew 15, 7, the angel tells Mary, said, but you go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. You see, there's a separation there. Peter was no longer a disciple. Peter was a cast sheep. So what we do we do with somebody that's helpless? Somebody that's a cast sheep. The good shepherd was mindful of it. 
Good Shepherd was mind of, mindful of his helplessness. And so he records in the scripture I read in St. John 21, he records the restoration of a disciple. Let's just don't leave him like that, Jesus is saying. Let's do something about it. So what can we do? And you notice how the Lord works it out. Peter denied his Lord three times. He was also given the opportunity to confess his love for his master the same three times. But I want you to notice the difference in this man from the time he stood up and said, Lord, everybody else might leave you, but I won't. Something happened to this man and when he was ostracized. Something happens out here to individuals. Maybe they've been proud. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they have brought a lot of things on themselves. But something happens in that position. And if Jesus gave Peter the chance, he also gives these other ones a chance. And so you notice, it was not the same brash Peter that said, in essence, others might forsake you, but I won't. Jesus' question to him was, Peter, do you love me? And there's a difference in that, that what he's saying, Peter, do you agape me or agape me or do you deeply and divinely love me? That's quite a question. And Peter answers, Lord, you know I love you, but the difference is here is filio. In other words, I filio, you are, I am deeply fond of you. He says that three times. You see, Peter knew that he did not have the ability to love in that perfect and divine love that would make him willing to die for his master. He knew that. And so he wasn't brash enough anymore to say, yes, I divinely love you, because he knew he could not. And it's still the same today. There is no possible way that we, without the Holy Spirit of God, can divinely love Jesus Christ or love God. But once we receive that which God implants within us, which is God's Spirit, then we have the ability to love as Jesus loved. That's why he tells us to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Because as we walk in the Spirit, we love as Jesus loved. And Peter couldn't say that until after the upper room. And after the upper room, he was not only able to say that, but he was able to demonstrate. Stood up right in the face of the heathen crowd and began to minister message that's still on the lips of individuals all over the world today, stood there filled with the power of Almighty God, willing and able to say, I love him enough to die for him. History records that when they come to crucify Peter, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified the way my Lord was, and they crucified him upside down. There has to be a divine love inside that would make an individual say those words. Lord, I'm willing to die for you. Then Peter said, after the upper room, he could say, yes, I really do divinely love you. Hallelujah. Let's stand just for a few moments. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's worship him just for a moment. And let's ask him to let us be what he wants us to be. God, some way, give us the ability, give us the strength, and give us the power to recognize the hurt and recognize the loss and recognize the dying. And God help us some way or somehow not to get entangled with denominationism, schism, 
ideas and opinions, but present the true unadulterated word of God with hands that are filled with love and compassion and extended to anyone that is helpless and might need help. God teaches, teaches how to take care of helpless sheep that you have deposited in our midst. Keep us there, Jesus. Keep us there. Oh, I tell you tonight, I'm excited about what God's getting ready to do. I'm excited about the diamonds and the rough that he's getting ready to pull out. I'm excited about a last day revival for God's people that will saturate and supersede almost anything that we've ever saw. I believe it's there. And I believe God is digging it out <laughs> as diamonds in the rough and reaching in and getting individuals to care and concern and wants God and wants to be able to make a show in this life and present them and take care of them until Jesus comes. It's out there, friend. I can just almost see it. But I want you to know something. I've been in this thing a long time, but I don't, I don't want to be left out. Amen. I'm willing to lay down tradition, idiocracies, idiosyncrasies, denominations. I'm willing to lay it down just to be in this thing God's got for me. How about you? You willing to lay it down? Just lay it all down, everything that you've ever been indoctrinated with and all of it, and seek a fresh word and see what it actually says. Glory. I want to be part of it so bad. Because people have gotten partway into the blessed kingdom. Partway in among the people. In between, Jesus going away and just coming in. He had to have a church to take care of all the those that he's taken care of. He's looking for some place to be part in the rich. Have you ever stopped to wonder sometimes why individuals are still out there dying? Have you ever stopped to wonder if perhaps it's because there's no place to go? Nobody that really cares. Nobody that will really take consideration where they've been and, and, and why they're that away. Never recognize the problem. So they're still here. God, this, this is in a place. Let's move out in God's way. Let's get excited enough to get in earnest about finding some place, a bigger building, and get us some, some musicians and some prayer warriors and get this thing going to be able to reach. The Lord's hand is not sure. Sunday school Sunday morning. We appreciate you that exist to this. We pray that God would speak to you and if you want to be part of us, we will sure make a place for you. We just want to visit. We have a home church that's fine.